Drafting Archetypes. I'm Sam Black, and this week we are going to be going over Five Color Snow. I was going to try to put this one off for a while because I thought that it would be particularly complicated, but I ended up drafting it early because it seems very strong to me, and so I think that I already have a reasonable handle on it, and I think that it's the deck that would help people win the most, and my goal is to help my listeners win more, so I figure this is the best thing I can do toward that end. So we're going to jump straight into the deep end here in Kaldheim with Five Color Snow. Uh, but before we get to that, I want to give a quick thanks to my patrons over at patreon.com. That's Stephen, Byron, Michael, Arthur, Adrian, Matthew, Arn, Ray, Jack, Jonathan, Parker, Alex, Eric, Kevin, Max, Eohan, Daniel, Baptiste, Tobias, Britton, Evan, Eduardo, Eric, Gustavo, John, and Graham. And I also want to mention that if you are considering joining the patron, or if you are not, but maybe should be, this week I'm going to be going over a lot of cards, and because Kaldheim is new, I'm going to be sure to cover the text of all the cards that I'm talking about. There are a lot of lists that I've like broken things into and stuff. Some of that I'm going to have time to like talk over in detail, some of it I'm not. With every episode, I do a lot of kind of background research that I don't end up discussing directly, but is informing everything that I say. All of that is in spreadsheets. Those spreadsheets compose my show notes, which are available to patrons, so you can see all the thoughts that I've collected uh, behind the scenes in each episode, as well as get access to all of my draft logs and some other content you can check out over on patreon.com slash draftingarchetypes if you're interested in supporting the show and getting access to that stuff. But... Moving right along to Five Color Snow. As usual, we're going to start with how you get into Five Color Snow. It's really easy. You just take the strong cards. Whatever the best card in the pack is, you take it. And then you get another pack, and you take the best card again. If those cards are maybe not in overlapping colors or strategies, Five Color Snow might be for you. That's really what it's about. It's about making sure that you have enough power to justify spending picks on fixing and stuff like that. So really it is just like, oh, if there's a really strong card, take it. If there's another really strong card in the next pack, take it. If these two strong cards happen to fit the same strategy, okay, do that. If like they're the same colors, great, that makes that that's easy. Just keep doing that thing. If they're not the same colors, maybe you can play them both. Basically, a lot of it is about just like having faith that you can make it work if you want to, even if you start with two cards that have very little in common, because the set does have a lot, like it, the means are there. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean you'll see them in every draft, and it doesn't necessarily mean that it'll always work out. But the great thing about taking the strong cards is you have an exit strategy. If your first five picks are just the five best cards you saw in each of those packs, there's a good chance that, like, you know, three of them are in some 
two-color pair or something, worst-case scenario. And if, as the draft goes on, you find that it's hard to get fixing, you end up settling into some open colors, maybe you have to jettison two of your picks, but you have five strong cards, so you're still in a good place. So it's really easy to pivot either into or out of five-color snow, which makes it a really safe way to go into a draft, which is why I think that in most drafts, early on I've been kind of like looking for an opportunity to do something different, to just like get more information on what the other archetypes are. But there's a very, very good chance that I'll go into every draft assuming that I'm five color snow until proven otherwise. And I'll just like take the best cards and then if there's no fixing and all the best cards happen to be in some two colors, great, that's the deck I am. I'll drop a couple of cards that I took that didn't happen to work out. But as long as like I can play all the best cards, I might as well do that. Understanding that, you need to know which cards you're looking for, which are the best cards. And not all best cards are created equal. I'm looking for kind of like the most raw power. Like obviously there are really good like aggressive one and two drops and there are good tricks like i forget the name of it off the top of my head but the foretell plus one plus one double strike white uncommon trick that is a very powerful card that can steal games pretty easily in an aggro deck you are not looking for that card in five colors now it's not it's only contextually powerful in an aggressive strategy that's not what we're looking for here we're just looking for like you know Jund style mid-range haymaker haymakers. You just want like good card advantage, good removal, and you want to make sure that your man is functional. That means that you want to both make sure that you can cast all of your spells eventually and that you can cast spells on a curve in the early game to not fall behind. Which means if you're if you have like two red cards in your deck, you don't want them to be two two twos that are your whole early game because you're not going to have enough mountains that you'll be able to cast those tutus on the second turn, and so they won't do anything. If you want to have tutus in your deck, you're, you need to make sure that they're in the color that you have the most sources of, or maybe if you have a lot of sources of two colors, they're one of those two colors. But you need to like make sure that you can play a normal game of magic and cast your spells, and you need to make sure that you're like paying attention to on which turn am I going to have access to each of these colors of mana and make sure that your cards line up with that. Similarly, uh, you really need, like, if you have a lot of ways to search for lands or just, like, some kind of control over what colors of lands you're playing each turn, you want to think about, like, okay, on turn one, I'm probably going to have green. On turn two, I'm probably going to have, like, my choice of like green blue or green black or i'll have one of those or something then on turn three i'll play a fixer i might have i don't know what color i'll have i'll play some third land and then i'll play some mana fixing thing and then on turn four maybe by turn four i can have, plan to have like one mana of whatever color i'm looking for but you need to think about like am i trying to have double of a color and if so when do i think that'll realistically happen knowing that i'm going to be prioritizing like finding all of my colors before finding a second copy of that color or something like that. How many different lands do I need to cast all my spells? Like if you're four colors, that might be four lands. It might be five lands. It might be six lands. It depends on how many of your different colors cost double colored mana in their colors. Um, and you want to 
try to be like depending on how much fixing you have you might want to be realistic about like okay how many different lands does it take to get all of my colors especially this is very 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 important to pay attention to if a large portion of your fixing is shimmer drift veil specifically that's the land the snow land common that enters the battlefield tapped and you choose a color that it can produce that's a great way to fix your mana but it doesn't fix everything it fixes anything and that's different and you need to like pay attention very specifically to exactly which spells your fixing lets you cast and when you can cast them and make sure that your curve allows you to play things regardless of like not regardless of which spells you can cast but knowing which spells you expect to be able to cast so while you can cast anything you need to pay attention you do need to pay attention it's your mana is not completely free and throughout the draft you'll get a sense of how good your mana is and how much you can push it versus how conservative you need to be so that bridges smoothly into the next thing that i wanted to talk about which is snowlands and dual lands how highly should you prioritize them so there are a lot of different categories of snowlands for example shimmer drift fail if you're if you're likely to play three or more colors this should be like an absolute like take this above like anything short of like a bomb i don't i don't mean a bomb rare i mean like a bomb uncommon but like there's a good chance that you want to trick, take shimmer drift veil over like removal and card advantage which are kind of like the next class of cards for me and then the snow duels are obviously really good but there's a difference between a snow duel that you know is to your colors and a snow duel that you that is one color that you're definitely playing and one color that you speculatively might want to splash at some point later in the draft those just are slightly different priorities but not very different for the most part like it really is just like take like cards that are like wow this would make my deck a lot better and then if there's nothing in your in the pack that would make your deck a lot better if it's just like eh this is like an okay removal spell but i can probably find a different like okay removal spell then you probably want to take a good piece of fixing and then as far as like snow basics that's going to be a function of how highly you're prioritizing snow based on how many of your cards care about snow for example if you open blood in the snow you're going to take snow basics much more highly than if you just have like random strong cards of different colors that don't specifically care about having a lot of snowlands and so it's it's still good to take snowlands because you never know when you'll see a card like that but you're you're not going to prioritize them the same way but in general that's like i'd say the snow basics if i don't have something that is screaming no really these are super important then they're going to be like okay well i'll probably take like premium removal over them but i'm going to take them over to like some kind of like you know filler creature of my curve or something i'm always going to take a like snowland over a replacement level card if there's like any chance that i'll care that it's a snowland yeah that that kind of so oh the other thing that i wanted to mention uh in pack one i am going to try to take powerful cards over snowlands that are not good duels or shimmer drift veil but like snow basics and like speculative dual lands and stuff i'm gonna try to send all those around the table for the first part of pack one both because if i'm taking powerful spells i have the most flexibility to pivot 
while having good cards for what I'm pivoting into rather than being like trapped with these low impact snowlands that I spent high picks on. And I get a lot of information about the table by sending the snowlands around. If I can like table snow duels, especially multiples, or if like most snowlands are coming back, I know I can just go full speed ahead in snow, I'm getting it all. And I mean, maybe there's one other person at the table who ends up fighting me for it or something, but basically I can just like go. But if I send the snow stuff around and none of it comes back, now I need to like take stock of where I'm at. I need, and I have some choices. I can either jettison snow entirely and just say like, okay, this is fine. I don't need snow for any of my cards to work. I can still have like multicolor mana that works. I can still take snow cards that offer fixing and maybe I don't care that much that it's snow. Maybe I'm not going to be like using Ice Hydroll, which is the uh, two, three common three drop in green that you can spend two snow to pump it and make it indestructible. Really good card if you're heavy snow. Maybe you don't get to play that card in your deck. That's fine. You don't have to fight over snow. You'll have a bunch of other picks to take strong cards. You can make it work and be multicolor non-snow. That's one option. Uh, alternatively, if you have snow cards, that you really want to play. Like maybe you have some Icebind Pillars, that's the like three mana Icy Manipulator that needs snow to tap something uh, in blue. If you have cards like that and you can't table the snow, that's okay, now you know that you have to fight for snow in the next two packs. And you still have time to do that, and you still have the strong cards that you took from pack one. And so there's still time to just like kind of balance uh, your pick order and adjust for the table and compete as hard as you need to on snow. But if you take snow aggressively in pack one, you don't learn in pack two and three whether you can afford to keep tabling it, and so you end up needing to continue to spend high picks on it. Sometimes you can prioritize snow in pack one to push other people off so that it's open so that you can get it in the next packs. And like that's a fine place to end up if it breaks that way because there just don't happen to be strong cards in pack one and you end up in a spot where it's like okay the best thing i can do here is pick snow and maybe you do that because you got some kind of snow payoff early or something that'll happen sometimes but for the most part you want to try to get your snow at the end of pack one and then if it doesn't come at the end of pack one decide if you're on the plan of fighting for it or the plan of just giving up on snow and you can give up on snow and be five color or maybe you don't even do that maybe you just give up and move in on some two-color pair, maybe you were going to splash for some snow cards and you just abandon them and it's fine. You're going to want to make a lot of decisions about what direction you're headed, specifically at the end of pack three. That'll tell you both how open snow is and also, especially in these drafts I've done early, I've found a lot of the drafts, they're just like, oh, this is just like a good removal spell in this color that wield, and now there's another one. Okay, just no one's touching red this draft. And if you have a little bit of strength across the board, you can just decide, okay, maybe I'm just about, like, the snow stuff that I want for this five-color deck's not tabling. I didn't table any of my duels. I'm just going to take, like, this strong red aggressive card, and, like, maybe I'll just pivot into, like, red aggro using a couple of the cards I took early. You don't have to lock yourself in too much to your first eight picks. You want to, like really pay attention at the end of pack one to taking stock of the table and figuring out if you want to pivot or what your deck's going to end up like looking like and how you're going to have to draft from where you are to get there. All right, that That's kind of big picture what's going on in the draft. You know, start by taking strong cards for the like first half of the first pack. 
second half of the first pack, figure out what you can learn about the rest of the table based on how the end of the pack is looking, figure out what your deck's going to look like, figure out how to pivot into whatever you're trying to be. Now let's just briefly go over what are the like really good uncommons that I'm looking for in this archetype that I'm taking over the good fixing, over all the commons. These are the premium cards that I'm going to take early. If I get a bunch of these, it tells me what I'm doing. Avalanche Caller is the blue 1-3. There are no mono white. I'm going through uh, by color here, not by rank among these. There are no white uncommons I'm excited about. Avalanche Caller is the one in a blue for a 1-3 snow creature, human wizard. Two target land, target snow land. You control becomes a 4-4 elemental with hexproof and haste until end of turn. It's still a land. Frost Augur, 1-2 snow creature, human wizard. Snow tap, look at the top card of your library. If it's a snow card, you may reveal it and put it into your hand. This one, this is... Not quite as premium. There, it was a little hard to draw the line between like what's a uncommon, what's an uncommon that I'm looking for, and what's like a premium uncommon. So like Frost Augur, I said was like a premium uncommon, whereas Glimpse of the Cosmos is an uncommon I'm looking for. But those two are about the same quality, and Frost Augur really like I don't want to take it super early because it really does ask me to be very snow. If I am very snow, it's really good. It's lower on the priority list of the stuff I'm talking about here. A uh, Glimpse of the Cosmos is the impulse uh, that you can cast again if you have giants. So one in a blue for a sorcery. Look at the top three cards of your library, put one of them in your hand and the rest in the bottom in any order. And then if this is in your graveyard, you can cast it for a blue. That's very good. You can think of it as premium or just below premium. It's not a very important distinction. I mean, it is, but it, it's not top, top of premium either way, but it's, I don't know. Uh, Icebind Pillar, I mentioned before, is the blue icy, two and a blue snow artifact, snow, tap, tap target artifact or creature, very, very good premium card. Poison the Cup, black, black, one instant, destroy target creature, if this spell was foretold, scry two, foretell one and a black, very important to note that you don't need double black to cast this spell, which is part of why it's so good in this archetype. Next up, Turgrid's Shadow, this is three BB instant, each player sacrifices two creatures, foretell BB. This does require double black, which means that there will be times when you're like, yeah, my mana can't support this, I'm not going to do it. But it's a really, really strong card, worth taking early and try to make work. Also worth noting that the um, one of the best commons in the set is a card that has a name. That name is Feed the Serpent, which is black, black, two, instant exile target creature or planeswalker. Note, that costs black, black. Triggered Shadow costs black, black. There's just this inflection point with this deck of like, do I want to support black, black to be able to cast specifically Triggered Shadow and Feed the Serpent? And like, if you don't have those cards, you want to try to avoid black, black. If you do have those, you want to make black, black work. So like taking Triggered Shadow and doing the work for that basically like gives you also now you can take Feed the Serpents that you see. Moving into red, not a lot. Basically like, Sometimes you'll be able to make Basalt Ravager work, sometimes you won't. That's three and a red for a 4-2. When it enters the battlefield, it deals X damage to any target where X is the greatest number of creatures you control that have a creature type in common. The more shapeshifters you have, the more likely you are to be able to make this work. There might be some other wizards you're playing off or something. Probably not a lot of other giants. This is, like, 
good but probably not super premium the other red uncommons i'm not really interested in they're mostly more aggressive um then in green uh there are a lot of green uncommons that are like really solid but not super premium like most of the creatures uh but path the world tree this is great and likely underrated i think of it as just like an absolute like high pick like really really good uncommon that's uh, one in a green enchantment ETB search your library for a basic land reveal it put it in your hand and then for two plus rainbow you can sacrifice it to do two of everything uh, gain two life make two card draw two cards opponent loses two life two damage to any creature and make a two two bear token the fixing on this is great really nice to have just like the lay of the land effect one extra mana is fine this will get you the color that you need in time uh this format expects everyone to take turn two off pretty often you're just doing this instead of foretelling and that's fine and the payoff is like the removal can usually hit something maybe you have to like so you can use this ability as an instant so you can go like they attack you with a 4-4 and you activate this and you do 2 damage to the 4-4 and then you make a 2-2 to block the 4-4. So like between the bear and the 2 damage, you're probably trading with a creature, maybe 2. And then, you know, you get a little life total buffer, you do a bit of damage to them, that's pretty whatever, but you also draw 2 cards. So this is basically like a 3-for-1 after you've already gotten a land off of it. And it's remarkably easy to activate. I have not played a lot of games where Path to the World Tree gets cast and never gets activated. Next up, Spirit of the Alderguard, I think is even better than Path to the World Tree. This is one of my favorite uncommons. Three and a green for an 0-4 snow creature bear spirit. When it enters the battlefield, search your library for a snow land. Doesn't have to be basic, very important. Reveal it, reveal it, put it into your hands, then shuffle your library. And this thing has plus one, plus O for each other snow permanent you control. Some things only count snow lands. This counts everything. The last draft I did, I had three of these, and they often had over 10 power. I, I remember distinctly I had one with at least 14 power. Now, the really the real important part of this deck is the gold the gold uncommons. So that's kind of like, outside of like those com the powerful green fixing uncommons, you're like... Bread and butter in this archetype is the gold uncommons, the random powerful gold legends and sagas that you can pick up, both at uncommon and rare. I'm only going to go over the uncommons, but this you certainly want, you know, multiple good rares in a deck like this. Vega the Watcher is one white blue for a 2-2 flyer. Whenever you cast a spell from anywhere other than your hand, draw a card. So if you have this, you want to you know, slightly prioritize Fortel. Pretty easy to get a lot of it when you can take Fortel cards of any color. You know, this is just a great rate. It's like a Windrake, except it draws you a bunch of cards. Next up, Nerfy, Betrayer King. Three blue black, legendary snow creature zombie wizard. Other snow and zombie creatures you control get plus one, plus one. For three snow, you can return it from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped, and it is a four, three. If you get this early, this is one of those cards that says you need to be serious about snow. This is only particularly good if you have snow, 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 and you need a lot of snow sources to make that work. If it does work, it's very strong, and if you do make it work, it also increases the, your uh, level of interest and any kind of like self-milling effects to turn this on. Next up, the Trickster Gods Heist, two blue-black, 
You may exchange, first chapter, you may exchange control of two target creatures. Second chapter, you may exchange control of two target non-basic non-creature permanents that share a card type. Third chapter, target player loses three life and you gain three life. So if you have this, you want to prioritize having random garbage creatures. So that means increasing how much you prioritize stuff like the 1-1 Elf Cleric that makes your opponent discard a card when you play it, random token generators, any random cheap creatures, maybe like the blue 1-3 that taps for a mana for spells or whatever, maybe the masked whatever, the 1-3 green creature that can remove a creature, a creature card in your graveyard to naturalize something. Uh, well, exile, but you get the idea. Second chapter, note, this can exchange lands, which doesn't sound like a big deal, but in addition to the fact that it can take your opponent's snow duel and give them a basic, it can also take your opponent's uncommon activated ability lands, which is like taking a spell from them, and you just replace it with one of your basics. So you're actually a lot more likely to get value out of the second chapter than you think, because you might think, oh, I need some kind of like random garbage like artifact or enchantment or something that's pretty unlikely and like how likely is it that they have something that shares a type like this sounds pretty fringe but the swap lands mode is actually pretty real on this card so Svela ice shaper Svela ice shaper is one red green for a two four legendary creature legendary snow creature troll warrior with three tap create a colorless snow artifact token named icy manolith with tap, add one mana of any color. And then for eight plus tap this, you can look at the top four cards of your library and you may cast a spell from among uh, them without paying its, cast, its mana cost and put the rest on the bottom of your library in any order. So a two four for three is actually like pretty great in this format because it shuts down basically every boast attacker. And then it's just like, if you activate it once, it fixes your mana, gives you whatever color you're missing, and then this just hangs out in your deck full of like card advantage and removal, and is a great blocker. And if you like aren't doing stuff with your mana, you just like make more mana. That lets you cast spells plus activate this thing. Then you get to this point where you have eight mana in this thing, and now you're just like putting creatures into play at the end of your opponent's turn or in combat or whatever. This this thing's really strong. Next up, follow the imposter. Uh, one green white. First saga, first two chapters are put a plus one, plus one counter on up to one target creature. Third chapter is exile a creature with the greatest power among creatures target opponent controls. This is this one's all about the third chapter. It's just, you get some counters, the counters are nice, and then the third chapter is just like really strong hard removal spell. Next up, binding the old gods. Two black green, first chapter, destroy target non-land permanent and opponent controls. Second chapter, search your library for a forest card put it onto the battlefield, tap, then shuffle your library. That does not have to find a basic forest, so you're gonna to wanna to prioritize your snow duels that are half forests if you have Binding the Old Gods to uh, increase the amount of fixing in your deck. Third chapter, creatures you control gain death touch until end of turn. I've been uh, informed of a correction on Trickster Gods Heist. You do have to give them a non-basic land, um, so it is a little bit harder to make work, uh, but if you have, you know, Snow Duels or Hammer Drift Veil or whatever, you can still take their good lands. Those are the only remaining spells that I think are really exciting. The other two cards that I want to call attention to are Port of Carfell. This is the 
Land that enters the battlefield tapped and taps for a blue, and you can spend three blue, black, black. Tap, sack, mill four cards, then return a creature from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped. And let draw a mirror like. This is the other blue land. Enters the battlefield tapped, taps for a blue, and you can spend two green, green, blue, tap, sack. Create a token that's a copy of a creature you control, except it enters the battlefield with an additional plus one, plus one counter on it. Activate this only when you could get, uh, use a, cast a sorcery. There are a lot of pretty good lands in this cycle, and there are others that you can use. These two are both the easiest for you to use because it's likely that blue is going to be like your second most common color, and green is likely your most common, but also getting black black is not unrealistic for a part of Carfell. So these are kind of like the easiest of this cycle to use, and also two of the better payoffs. You know, nothing wrong with like the white one that activates for blue where you gain two life and draw two cards, but that's like nowhere near as impressive as the two blue lands. Those are kind of what I jotted down as like the premium uncommons. There are a number of other like desirable uncommons that I'd put in the deck, but like these are the ones that I'm gonna try to take over my fixing early in pack one, stuff like that. Other cards that I want to call special attention to, I think, like, the best the best commons for this archetype are Behold the Multiverse, which is blue three, um, scry two, draw two, uh, with Fertel one and a blue instant, and Sarlf's Packmate, which is uh, three and a green for a three three wolf. When it enters the battlefield, draw a card, Fertel for one and a green. I think those are just the best commons they are i i would take them under most of the uncommons i just read but over most of the other uncommons and i basically want as many as i can get of either one i'm not worried about like oh no what if you have too many behold the multiverses or something i don't really believe in that there are plenty of other good commons but i'm taking those two over like premium removal because premium removal is going to require like you know if i take a good red removal spell now i have to make sure that i have red Whereas I can maybe later I'll find like a white removal spell instead and I can prioritize white instead of red. And, you know, it's six of one, half a dozen of the other. And I don't think my deck's like that much better for having like a random different removal spell compared to having like a really, really good two for one. Those two are like the super premium commons. And then depending on where I'm at in the draft, I'm going to take either fixing or like other good commons. Because it's important... I'm going to run through the commons in every color that I want to put in my deck. There are plenty of other commons that you can pick and put in your deck if, like, you have to, if your mana works for them, if they are an effect you're looking for, if you have, like, some kind of rare or uncommon or some kind of, like, synergy that you're trying to build to and you find a common that, like, supports that or whatever. Uh, this isn't, like, a complete list of every common you should ever put in your deck, but it's remarkably close. I'm very unlikely to play any common I don't list if my deck is going well, and it almost always is. There are only three red commons I want to play. They're the three removal spells, for example. White, there are only four cards I'm looking for. Uh, Bound in Gold, the Arrest type card. One in, White, two, Enchant Creature. Enchanted Creature can't do anything. God's Hall Guardian is uh, the Bound in Gold. When I said can't do anything, Enchanted Permanent can't attack, block, or crew vehicles, and its activated abilities can't be activated unless they're mana abilities. Basically can't do anything. God's Hall Guardian, 5 and a white, 3 6 Vigilance, Fertel, 3 and a white. Iron Verdict, 2 and a white, instant, 5 damage, target tap creature, Fertel, white. 
Master Scald. Four and a white. When it enters the battlefield, you may exile a creature card from your graveyard. If you do, return target artifact or enchantment from your graveyard to your hand. This card is key. This is a really important card because very few people want it. And because you have so many good sagas, a lot of the time, obviously you only want to take this if you do have like multiple good sagas. But if you have a bunch of good sagas, this card is awesome. Like a five mana four four is actually is like a very good body in this format. This isn't like, yeah, it's a little below rate because I'm getting a two for one or whatever. It's a good body. And this ability isn't just draw a card. This ability is like get back one of your really good cards and use it again. Master Scald is super, super good and super, super free and not very hard to enable. So, like, Master Scald is, like, actually an important common and something you want to be, like, paying attention to and, like, making your deck able to use. That's it. Those are the four white commons I'm interested in. Blue. Blue's a little bit deeper. Uh, in blue, I'm interested in Behold the Multiverse, which I talked about, obviously. Bergstrider, which is the uh, another five mana, four, four. This one, uh, when it enters the battlefield, tap an artifact or creature and opponent controls. If snow is spent to cast this, that thing doesn't untap. Next up, bind the monster. That's the one white or one blue enchantment. When it enters the battlefield, tap enchanted creature. It deals damage to you equal to its power, and it doesn't untap. Next up, disdainful stroke. You should be familiar with that one. It's common. It's been around for a long time. Next up, pilfering hawk. That's one in a blue for a one-two flyer. Next up. Uh, Mistwalker, that's two and a blue for a 1-4 Changeling Flyer. Oh, sorry, the, the Pilfering Hawk, you can spend a snow, tap it, and loot. That part's important. Mistwalker uh, is the 1-4. You can uh, give it plus one, minus one for one and a blue and Flying Changeling. Run Ashore, this is four blue-blue. Instant, choose one or both. The owner of target non-land permanent puts it on top or bottom of their library and return target non-land permanent to its owner's hand. This is just like a great tempo card for like if you're like, you know, getting behind, you can get rid of two of your opponent's things. Also really easy to set up lethal if you're in some kind of like moderately sized board stall or whatever. Like you just get rid of two of their block. Not like board stall exactly, but just like it's not that uncommon when you both have like a bunch of removal and stuff that like you just both have a couple of big creatures or whatever. And you can just go like, okay, get rid of both your blockers, kill you. But the, the, the best trick to watch for on Run Ashore is put the third chapter of your saga on the stack, bounce the saga to your hand, bounce their creature to the top of their deck. It's slow in that you had to spend your turn buying your saga back, but you also got their creature out of play. So you like get a two for, like it's a two for one rather than a tempo card because now you've like forced them to draw their creature again and gotten it out of play and everything. And you've also now kind of like drawn this extra card, but the extra card is like a good saga, which might itself be like another two for one. So really really good interaction there definitely makes it worth playing like this six drop you're looking for high impact cards like this anyway because you know you're ramping and so you want something to do with that extra mana a couple of cards i didn't mention raven form i think this is filler removal and you can do better this is the sorcery that exiles an artifact or creature and makes a one one bird has foretell you can play it if you have some flyers and stuff but it's not I'm not excited about it. Same thing with like Frostbeak Yeti, not excited about it. You can play it. That's the like 3-3 three, three that can get unblockable. Not excited about the 1-4 that uh, Zombie Wizard that can give you some mana for foretelling things or playing instance or sorceries. It's playable if you have a lot of, you know, foretell or instance or like a lot of ways to use the mana. You can play it. It's fine. 
Another card I didn't mention, Augury Raven. People would probably be mad if I didn't say anything. That's the 3-3 flyer for 4, flying for tell for 2. Totally fine to play this card if you get it, but I wouldn't value it as highly as I think you're going to have to value it to get to play it. I think it's like a fine creature, but nothing to write home about. Yeah, I would play it. Yeah, I would draft it over replacement level stuff. I just don't expect that it's going to end up in very many of my decks because I think it's going to be overrated. Black. Feed the Serpent. Already talked about it. Great if you can do double black. You might not want to do double black, though, but you probably want to take it <clears throat> pretty early. Try to make it work if you see it early. You might have to not bother with it later in the draft. Priest of the Haunted Edge. 04 for one and a black zombie... Uh, zombie something. Uh, zombie Cleric. Tap Sack. Target creature gets minus X, minus X until end of turn, where X is the number of snowlands you control. Activate this only anytime you can cast a sorcery. How good this card is is obviously a function of how much snow you have, but uh, I like it. It's a great way to put a creature in your graveyard for the things that need you to exile a creature from your graveyard to do stuff. Uh, can like answer a flyer or whatever, and it's like a good blocker early. Can also kill a lot of the like small boast stuff. It, it's it's a good card. Also really good at turning on raise the Draugr if you're in that market. That's the like double zombify thing or double raised dead thing that I discovered today as an instant. So anyway, feed the serpent, priest the haunted edge, way down. That's the black sorcery exile a creature in your graveyard as an additional cost. Target creature gets minus three minus three until end of turn. This one you're only gonna want to play if you expect to like. You want to be careful about how awkward this one is, but it is strong enough to try to make it work. And then Coma's Faithful. This is the 3-1 Elf Cleric Lifelink. When it dies, each player mills three cards. Good way to enable your stuff. There are a few other black cards you can play that I didn't mention. Totally fine to play Elderfang Disciple, which is the 1-1 ETB opponent discards. If you have anything that's, you know, doing stuff with this, you can play one Dread Rider as a, like random big thing if you need it. Uh, that's the six mana, three, seven. You can tap one into black and it and exile a creature to make your opponent lose three life. Totally fine to play Raise the Draugr or like Skull Raid if your deck supports it in some way. I guess Wither Crown is probably technically playable, but I'm not excited about it. That's the uh, lose it, remove all of a creature's power. Make a creature have base power zero and they have to lose one life for second in their upkeep. Red, only Demon, Vol Demon Bolt, Frost, Bite and squash. Those are uh, Demon Bolt is two and a red instant, four damage to a creature or planeswalker for tell for red. Frostbite is two damage to a snow red, snow instant, two damage to a creature or planeswalker if you have three or more snow permanents, three damage instead. And squash is five mana instant, cost three less if you control a giant. Squash deals six damage to target creature or planeswalker. If you're in the squashing business, you probably want to make sure to play some changelings or some giants. Pretty good to be able to cast it for two instead of always needing to pay six. It's not unplayable if you have to pay six though. Green, green there are some more playables because green is where your fixing is coming from. So you're more likely to want to play early green cards. Green, I'm looking for Glimmering Frost. I mean, yeah, the, the fixing is kind of in its own category, pretty important. Glimmering Frost, which I think is probably better than Horizon Seeker. Horizon Seeker is also fixing, totally works. Grizzled Outrider is the four and a green elf warrior, five, five. Guardian Gladewalker, one, one changeling, ETB put a plus one, plus one counter on something for one and a green. This is not a high priority, but 
definitely want to pay attention to it if you have things that are looking for like whatever type to benefit from that type this is a good way to like not fall behind early while turning on that stuff might trade off let you do your exile creature things serviceable card nothing exciting icehide troll this is like you really really want to pay it like this is a this is a premium common if you are good at generating snow uh, this is two and a green for a two three for snow snow it gets plus two plus oh and indestructible until end of turn and tap it masked vandal kind of in the same space as guardian glade walker but quite a bit better that's the one three changeling uh etb you can exile something to exile an artifact exile a creature to exile an artifact or enchantment ravenous lindworm for gg etb gain four six six packmate i talked about uh, Sculptor of Winter is the one in a green 2-2 two, two, tap and tap target Snowland. Not exactly fixing, but super, super, super important for the deck. Really, really good. If you're doing snow, you want these things. Struggle for Skemfar. Playable removal, but you want to pay attention to like your creature density and how good you're actually going to be at fighting. This is three in a green sorcery, hunt the weak with Fertel for a green. Other commons that you're looking for are just the lands. Those are the commons that I want to play. There's, there are a, a bunch of other like uncommons that are, you know, any uncommon that I didn't list that looks good is probably in the category of like, yeah, these are, you know, generally probably better than like, you know, most of the commons, not better than everything, but, you know, figure it out if you want these things or, or, or a removal spell. I don't know. It's, it's all close and depends on your color situation and what your deck needs and everything. Alright, last thing I want to stress before I open it up to questions. Don't, when you're drafting, don't worry about like what's my win condition or like how am I going to win. If you're like anywhere in this space, you have a lot of, you have, there's something going on in your deck that it does well or you wouldn't be here. You have a lot of removal, you have like good two for one creatures, you have like powerful, like all of these, all the cards that you want are strong. They many of them provide card advantage in some way many of them like answer your opponents like they're clean removal spells they're like cards that generate value over time they're two for ones if your deck is full of this stuff and you don't die your opponent's going to run out of resources and you're going to kill them most of the time doesn't really matter with what like at all just don't worry about it the question you do want to be asking yourself as you're kind of like finishing out your deck and stuff is how do i lose don't look at how you're going to win look at how you're going to lose what holes are there in your deck is your mana going to fail are you going to like come out too slow and lose to boast creatures are you going to like get killed by flyers or like creatures that are unblockable and like you can solve those problems like you can solve creatures that are unblockable either by, oh, well, you know, I have, like, my own big creatures that can probably race that stuff. I'll just kill them. Or, well, I have a bunch of removal. I'll just kill their unblockable creatures. It's not a problem. But you want to see if there, you know, is there a card type I can't answer? Is there just, like, look at just, you know, to the best of your ability, figure out, like, what kind of deck or what specific cards or, you know, what play patterns, what kinds of draws you could have that are going to make you lose. And try to find cards that hedge against that, especially in best of three where you can look for sideboard cards that do it and look for things that are a little bit more narrow that's that's what i got that's what you're doing those are the cards you're looking for should be enough information 
Now I'm going to turn it over to questions from the audience. And I've noticed that some have been building up while I'm going, so I'm going to start with the questions that have already been asked, and then you know just continue on down the line. So if you have any questions, fire them off now, and I'll get to them when I get to them. First up, example number-wise for when I expect to play a card with two of the two symbols. It's I can't do it that cleanly because it's I I know like. I'm familiar with like, you know, the, the Karsten like math articles about like numbers of land, numbers of sources and stuff you need. It doesn't really work that way in limited because like a lot of that stuff is about like, well, let's assume that, you know, you're playing constructed and you need to cast like this spell on this turn 80 or 90 percent of the time or something like you don't need to cast feed the serpent 80 percent of the time on turn four to want to put it in your deck in limited. You know, if if you're usually going to be able to kill something on turn seven or if you're sometimes going to be able to kill something on turn seven, that might be worth it for a hard removal spell. So it's really just about, like, you know, you prioritize these cards that can, like, search for lands and, like, make it work, and then you just look at, like, okay, well, like, how many ways do I have to make this spell work? So, like, you know, a lot of people have some kind of heuristic that they use for, like, how many sources do I need to splash, like, one card? How many do I need to splash two cards? How many do I need to splash three cards? You know, it depends somewhat on the format and stuff, but, like, maybe you want, like, three sources for one or two cards, maybe, like, four sources for two cards, five sources for three cards. Maybe, you know, whatever heuristic you've heard that you like, that's... Just think of it that way. Four things that cost a single pip. But pay attention to, oh, well, I'm counting my Shimmer Drift Veil for three different colors of mana, and it's, like, my only source for them. That's going to be a little too taxed. You know, look for that. Try to find a way around it. And then if anything costs two of a color instead of one of a color, well, now you get to count your Glittering Frosts as a source, but, because uh, that gives you two mana of any color. Or, no, it doesn't. It adds one mana. It's different than the other things. So you only get to count them as one source. Anyway, uh, to get, like, two, you need a higher number, ballpark seven sources in your deck or something, but... Again, it kind of depends on, like, how important is this? How good is it late? How much, like, card draw and stuff do you have? Like, how stable is your early game? Is this thing going to win you the game whenever you cast it? You know, like, if I can only get five red sources in my deck because I'm splashing Goldspan Dragon and it's my only red card, so I need the other mana, like, well, yeah, okay, I'm willing to, like, play this on five red because it's, like, so ridiculously strong. But so it, there, there aren't hard numbers for this stuff. Would I pick the snow land over replicating ring slash manolith? I would not take a snow basic land over replicating ring. I think that as a snow source of any color, I am pretty in the market for that. We are talking early in the draft. Later in the draft, who knows? It really depends on my curve, my requirements, whether I need the mana fixing or whether I'm like already pretty well off, you know. All right, uh, next question. Found the format more aggressive than expected. Do I think that two drops are particularly important in five color snow? What are some key two drops for this archetype? Yeah, I mean, you don't want to fall behind. You need to pay attention to like which turn you're first getting a blocker down and how big is that blocker. So the more cards you have, like Svela Ice Shaper, the three mana two four, other stuff like that that can, you know, stabilize you, that uh, provides virtual card advantage, stuff that like, you know, can potentially hold off two creatures. The more of that you have, 
the less emphasis there is on having two drops, the more you can spend turn two playing fixing and stuff. Whereas the more you're planning to cast like Replicating Ring and Glittering Frost on turn three, the more you need to make sure you're doing something on turn two so that you aren't waiting until turn four to commit to the board. I'd say in general, you wanna make sure that you can impact the board on either turn two or turn three basically all the time. If you can't do, if you reliably can't do that, you're gonna lose aggro decks. If you reliably can't impact the board on turn two or three, you better have like good anti-aggro cards. You know, you better have like some Turgid Shadow type cards and, you know, play, you know, make a point of putting stuff like Comus Faithful in your deck that can gain some life and block something. Uh, maybe prioritize something like God's Hall Guardian that can come down on turn four and stop multiple attackers. You know, look for life gain where you can find it. Look for, you know, whatever whatever you can to like mitigate the fact that you're starting that far behind. Maybe Iron Verdict becomes a priority. But yeah, for the most part, like you need to figure out like, okay, just make sure that you can place play a good blocker on two or three. And again, that's usually going to be in the form of green creatures, though. There are plenty of blue creatures that can also fill the role, or black, whatever your secondary color is. How good is Priest of the Hunted Edge? It's good if you're snow, I, I covered it. Do I foretell the metagame changing to make drafting this deck harder? How might I adjust? Honestly, I do not. Um, th this is the kind of deck that's like kind of unexploitable, especially given what I was saying about how easy it is to pivot. As long as you like keep everything I said about when and how to pivot in mind, I think this is just like a safe way to do things. Um, you know, just prioritize strength, make it work. And it's, it's gonna, like, how I end up making it work is gonna vary from table to table and might have to adapt to a metagame and stuff, but the fundamental principles are just gonna work. All right, now we have a question about, I said to send the snow cards around and person liked cutting snow to be rewarded and asks if I think this is different or if they were drafting MH1 wrong. I so I mean I prefer to draft MH1 the way that I was saying um, their drafting is always everyone finds their local maxima they find what works for them rather than what's necessarily like the best thing you can possibly do I don't know that you were drafting it wrong for you I don't know that my way of drafting it was optimal I don't know that your way of drafting it was or wasn't optimal I suspect that your way wasn't optimal. I don't think I would suggest doing the thing that you were doing most of the time in the dark if you didn't have like a powerful snow card that was the reason you were cutting stuff. I would also suggest that the payoffs for snow were probably a little bit stronger in total in MH1, so you will have a harder time getting rewarded for that in this set, I believe. Next up, is Glimpse much better than Strategic Planning? Yes, uh, choosing two out of six is a very different world than choosing one out of three. Uh, I believe that this deck is quite capable of casting the second half of uh, Glimpse pretty consistently, and you're you know playing the kind of long game where that matters. Strategic planning didn't make my list because it's you know rough to take time off for that when you're taking time off for other stuff. But like, if you're high on stuff that's using the graveyard or low on fixing, uh, it is not an unplayable card. Next question was about sealed. That is both not the focus of this podcast and not something that I'm going to claim to know anything about. But, like, yes, I think that on average, Sealed will likely play more colors in this format than it does in lots of Sealed formats. There's more fixing that happens in a lot of Sealed formats that have fixing. 
another how does this compare to my previous knowledge about drafting multicolor decks this is about uh similarities to drafting gates in ravnica allegiance i think it's i think the principles are very similar i think you can apply a lot of what you know about drafting gates from ravnica allegiance to drafting this deck pretty safely next question are there any major shifts in drafting this best of one versus best of three uh, i i don't have enough uh information to know um this is the kind of deck that like sideboards pretty well because it has access to everything but sideboards poorly because you need to take like lands over sideboard cards sometimes um the hand smoother is going to help aggressive decks which is like you know probably going to hurt you on the margins but i don't think it matters a lot but it could and then does the presence of this deck inform other decks probably somewhat but i'm not at the point where i know how um I mean, you want to, you know, your aggro deck should be able to kill someone before they outpower you, I guess. It's like, but that's just true of aggro decks, so I, I don't know what you're doing differently based on that or anything. Uh, is Broken Wings main deckable? Uh, probably if you're, like, you know, I mentioned figuring out what you're going to lose to. If Flyers are what you're going to lose to a lot of the time, then Broken Wings is main deckable. Do I want to expect to play it when I take it? Probably not. Fully into a snow draft, do I value Glittering Frost over Snow Duels? Sculptor. Definitely a hard question that's going to depend on how deep I am in playables and how much I need the fixing. Like, Sculptor doesn't fix Glittering Frost. Like, Sculptor doesn't fix or fixes only for double colors, so Sculptor fixes the least well. Snow Duels fix better than Sculptor. Glittering Frost fixes better than Snow Duels. So it's going to be a function of how much I need the fixing. It's going to be a function of, like, how, you know, long I am on spells versus long I am on lands, where I want to make sure that I have enough playables, but I don't want to... But if I'm going to have to cut something that I'd be happy with, then I want to improve my lands more than I want to improve my spells. In general, I am going to prioritize Sculptor over Frost unless my mana is in a really hard spot. If I have a lot of snow lands... If I don't have a lot of Snowlands, I'm obviously going to prioritize Frost over Sculptor. These three can all go anyway, um, but I'm going to guess on average for me, most of the time, I'm probably going to be in a spot where I'm valuing duels over Sculptor over Frost, but that's not, you know, consistently prescriptive. Um, do I rate Snow-Covered Lands differently? Yes, substantially. Uh, Snow-Covered Forest is much better than Snow-Covered Plains early in the draft because I will be play I will expect that I'm going to want several forests in my deck where I'm going to expect that I'm going to want exactly one Plains in my deck. So while the first Snow-Covered Plains is as good or maybe even arguably better than the first Snow-Covered Forest because I'm more likely to find myself in a spot where I'm tutoring for a Plains than where I'm tutoring for a Forest because I'm naturally drawing my Forests, the second Snow-Covered Forest is great where the second Snow-Covered Plains is useless. So it's about like hedging against the spots that I'm likely to be in for future picks. Um, but obviously, like given the fact that, as I mentioned, like a snow-covered plains is actually probably better than a snow-covered forest if it's like, you know, last couple picks in the draft, this all can change a lot depending on your exact situation. Any archetype slash color pair I feel unfavored against way too early for me to answer that question, as you predicted. So it's just a question about, you know, deep in a draft how do you draft totally depends need to have like really you know look at your curve look at how everything's going to play out look at what you need easy mode is just the part where it's you know you're taking busted stuff and f hopefully you can spend most picks 
either taking like something great or some fixing. Remember that the hardest picks are the ones that matter the least. All of those, like if, if it's too close to call, you're probably not going to gain or lose a lot of percentage if you call it wrong. Uh, a funk. I, uh, this was about some decks that Matt and I drafted on stream last night. We drafted a red-white combo aggro deck that got a lot of wins by combining the double strike white uncommon with the trample red common. Um, and then we drafted a uh, really, really strong version of five-color snow. And the question was, which of those decks I think is better supported at common? I believe that uh, the snow deck is... it's So supported in commons is weird because like you don't actually want your snow deck to be based on commons. If I rephrase this as commonly supported, or like which can you get more consistently, I think the snow deck you can get more consistently. If I'm in some weird popper draft where I'm not allowed to play any of my uncommons or rares, I'm not drafting a snow deck because my cards are all going to suck and my mana is going to be bad. Um, so, uh, but as far as like will consistently work, I would say that the deck that we were drafting was very much about that double strike uncommon specifically. Whereas this snow deck has a lot more, you know, interchangeable, like any random good saga uncommon is the same as any other random good saga uncommon or something. Um, so I, I think that like, if you're going to force something, I think that this is the least exploitable path to force. Uh, I mentioned that Disdainful Stroke is on my list of generally playables for this deck. Is there a reason for that counter specifically, or is that meant to apply to uh, Saw It Coming? Yeah, Saw It Coming is on my uh, list of, you know, desirable but not busted uncommons. Um, I, I think that, it, obviously, like, Disdainful Stroke has the advantage of being single blue, but also Saw It Coming is single blue if you foretell it. Like, uh, yes, I, I also like Saw It Coming. Alright, just, uh, I don't want to read all of these. Uh, if you don't know them, I apologize. Look them up at your leisure. But the, the other uncommons that I have in mind is desirable for the archetype. Uh, Glimpse the Cosmos, Blizzard Brawl. Glimpse the Cosmos, I've mentioned in the other pile. It's in the middle of these somewhere. Glimpse the Cosmos, Blizzard Brawl, Boreal Outrider, Elven Bow, Finn the Fangbearer, Trickster Gods Heist. I ended up kind of, it's between the two. Carter, Doom Scourge, Saw It Coming, Maja, Bertigard Protector, Berja, Judge of Valor, Agar, the Freezing Flame, Harald, King of Skemfar, Myrit of the Frost, the Three Seasons, and Replicating Ring. So a lot of the just like strong gold cards, it's basically strong gold cards, fixing, and then like green or blue uncommons that are pretty good. That's, that's basically what this list is. All right, that was fun. That's going to wrap us up. Thank you everyone for uh, who's here on Twitch for watching, for anyone who is not here on Twitch and listening, but uh, interested in tuning in live, asking some questions next time, you can catch my stream at twitch.tv slash Samuel H. Black at 8 p.m. on Thursdays. If that doesn't work for you or that's or you prefer the podcast or YouTube versions, thanks. I mean, that's, that's totally fine. And thanks for listening. And I appreciate you no less. And uh, 8 p.m. Central. You know, if this is YouTube, like and subscribe. If this is a podcast feel free to you know leave some feedback on whatever platform you're on if this is twitch say hi uh all right thank you everyone and that will wrap it up for this week